You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, buckle up. Y'all ready? Okay, so we'll get the... Hey, sir, come on in. Well, good to see you. So we're on 54, and uh, this is one of the best pages in here. This is the, one of the two times where Aunt Emily gives both... And, and we as parents and grandparents, you know, we've had interventions like, okay, I'm going to give you everything I've got trying to get you out of this when you're going crazy. Come on in. We're on 54. All right, so she's... Now, this is... This is not politically correct, okay? This is may rub some people the wrong way. This is this is his uncle Will, really his cousin William Alexander Percy, Lanterns on the Levee, Suwannee alum. This is the old Southern values. So it's not racism, but it's all, but it is a lot of pride and a lot of the things that we we value. Read Faulkner, you know. There's a lot of good stuff about the old South: the honor and love of land and family and religion and courage. So here she is. Here's the old Romanticism. I no longer pretend to understand the world. She is shaking her head, yet still smiling, her sweet, menacing smile. Oh, I've known people like that. The still magnolias, okay. Best friend, worst enemy. And I mean, they can just be smiled and slide that dagger in with a smile still on them. I mean, I have met people like them. The world I knew has come crashing down around my ears. The things we hold dear are reviled and spat upon. It's an interesting age you will live in. Oh, the sarcasm, right? Though I can't say I'm sorry to miss it. But it should be quite a sight. The going under of the evening land. That's us, all right. And I can tell you, my young friend, it is evening. It is very late. I think of T.S. Eliot. Central image in T.S. Eliot, the wasteland, proof rock. A man walking on the beach at sunset, you know, water and salvation If you on the one side, death in this dryness on another, and the sun is going down. So it's not too late, but time's running out. For her too, the fabric is dissolving, but for her even the dissolving makes sense. She understands the chaos to come. It seems so plain that when I see it through her eyes, my duty in life is simple. I go to medical school. I live a long, useful life serving my fellow man. What's wrong with this? All I have to do is remember it. You have too good a mind to throw away. I don't quite know what we're doing on this insignificant cinder spinning away in a dark corner of the universe. That is a secret which the high gods have not confided in me. Yet one thing I believe, and I believe with every fiber of my being, a man must live by his lights and do what little he can and do it as best he can. In this world, goodness is destined to be defeated. But a man must go down fighting. That is the victory. To do anything less is to be less than a man. That's Ernest Hemingway, you know, victory in the defeat. That's the medieval heroic hopeless alone of Beowulf and, and all that right there. You will be 30 years old. Don't you think a 30-year-old man ought to know what he wants to do with his life? Um, it was, uh, you know, we, we were talking, of course, he agrees with that. I told you homesickness was one of the central themes in his life. So one of his characters was asked, how long have you been homesick? And he says, all my life. Isn't that sad? I mean, but, you know, losing his parents and stuff. Okay. You remind me so much of your father. 
and Binks says, I can't seem to remember him. That's like Willie Loman and you know, death of a salesman. Just he can't remember his dad and he lost his mom and that's the reason he's he's struggling right now. Okay, now now Kate's his cousin, remember. She refers to phenomenon of movie going. Now here we go with the title, which I've called certification. Nowadays when a person lives somewhere in a neighborhood, the place is not certified for him. More than likely he will be there sadly and the emptiness which is inside him will expand until it evacuates the whole entire neighborhood. But if he sees a, a movie which shows his very neighborhood, it becomes possible for him to live, for a time at least, as a person who is somewhere and not anywhere. Now this gets starts getting kind of the existentialism and sometimes it's kind of hard for me to follow. The, the closest I can get is if, you know, we're watching a movie and it's someplace we've been. Does it ever kind of come, become more alive to you when you remember? Like we were there. We saw it in this movie. I, I chaperoned some students up in uh, Brevard, you know, these outward bound type deals and stuff. And there, there was a, the place that's like triple waterfall and, you know, where you've got, you've got camps everywhere, right here around every corner. And it was the triple waterfall that was in the Hunger Games. And that's back when the Hunger Games was huge. Oh. The kids love that. I mean, they just had to go sitting around in that little hollowed out rock. With a, I saw this in the hunger. This it becomes really vivid to them. That's as close as I can get to what he's talking about. She sounds better. This is Kate, but she is not. Now, Kate's struggling. She's got problems. Remember, her fiance died in a car wreck the night before the wedding. Now, if that doesn't mess you up, nothing will. She is trapping herself, this time by being my buddy. Best of all buddies and most privy to my little researches. In spite of everything, she finds herself, even now, playing out the role. In her long nightmare, this, our old friendship, now itself falls victim to the grisly transmogrification by which the, uh, she unfailingly turns everything to, she touches to horror. She feels like she's Medusa. You know, she's like, I'm just cursed. I messed up. Anybody that loves me that I love is just going to... Um, turned to stone like Medusa. Okay. And so anyway, Binks is dating Sharon Kincaid from Eufaula, Alabama. I like these just little... We, we've all gone through Eufaula, right? And look at this. She is one of those... He's got a good sense... Had a good sense of humor. She is one of those village beauties of which the South is so prodigal. You ever notice with... You know, beauty pageants. That somebody from the South's always in the final five. And, you know, Miss Alabama's off in there. We, we have beautiful women. From the sleaziest house in the sleaziest town, from the loins of redneck pa and rock-faced ma, spring these lovelies. There, there may be nothing to this gene thing. These rosy-cheeked Anglo-Saxon lovelies by the million. Uh, let's see. They are at home in the streets, in the parks, on doorsteps. No one marvels at them. No one holds them dear. You know, they're just, uh, it's just so common having the, the beautiful women there. Just, and you look at the parents say, were you adopted? <laughs> it's just like, how that, how that work? And then he mentions on 76, Mrs. Schechnader. That's always hard for me to say. This poor woman is quite lonely. She knows no one except the painters and carpenters and electricians who are forever working on her house, right? Because she's lonely. So she's always got work going on the house. She has lived in New Orleans all her life and knows no one. Uh, now, I don't watch Home Shopping Network, but I think the one time I was on there, and I, 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 some woman called, and she bought you know, like two dozen of everything. You know, and, and the reason she did it 
is just so they talk to her for five or ten minutes. And it's just kind of sad, sad to be that lonely. Here's Aunt Emily again. Every moment thinks steadily as a Roman and a man to do what thou hast in hand with perfect and simple dignity and a feeling of affection and freedom and justice. These words of the Emperor Marcus Aurelius Antonius strike me as pretty good. Well, you know, that's, you know all about Marcus Aurelius. Aunt Emily's well-read, uh, anybody see the movie Gladiator? Okay, he's, uh, he, he's in that. So, uh, quite a writer. And then uh, he's talking, he's with Emma, with a Kate. Uh, she feels like she's on the brink of the abyss. And she says, have you noticed that only in times of illness or disaster or death are people real? Well, there's that great line by Flannery O'Connor. is the extreme situation that shows what we are essentially. Sometimes you have to be facing death to have all the other riffraff cleared away. And you realize what matters to you. You know, your faith, your family, your country, whatever. What's, what are you going to be able to take into eternity with you? I mean, I, I think of 9-11 through all the horrors there. Look, look how vivid that was. And look, look at those firefighters. What, what New York was a third of her firefighters. When everybody else is running out, they're running in. Okay. There's some vividness there. We talked about the, you know, the, the power outage in, 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 in New York. You know, the second time around after 9-11, there was no looting. Tons of looting the first time, none the second time because of what they'd gone through. And nine months said, no, I'm not going to rob your store there. And that was just a total, total blackout. We mentioned the correspondent in the open boat, same thing, fighting for his life. He says, the best thing ever happened to me. Bink says, I've not let, slept soundly for many years. Now I can identify with that. <laughs> I'm with you on that, Walker. Not since the war when I was knocked out for two days have I really lost consciousness. As a child loses consciousness in sleep and wakes to a new world, not even remembering when he went to bed. I can't even remember the last time the alarm woke me up. I mean, I, it's just like, uh, and my dad never had an alarm. My dad could program himself. That's the doctor in him. Any of y'all do that? Like, I got to get up at five. And so you wake up at four. It's just, I never saw him use an alarm clock. And so he looks at some houses in the neighborhood. These houses look handsome in the sunlight. They please him with their pretty colors, their perfect lawns, and their clean, airy garages. But I've noticed that at this hour of dawn they are forlorn. A sadness settles over them like a fog from the lake. They've got the perfectly manicured lawns and everything, but they just seem lonely. It kind of, kind of reminds me of a long day's journey tonight, Eugene O'Neill. It's like a, a fog of malaise has just settled over. My father used to suffer from insomnia. Now, remember Walker's father committed suicide up there in the attic and the, on Ridge Drive up there overlooking the golf course. One of my few recollections of him is his nighttime prowling. My father had trouble sleeping and moved out with it. He tossed like a wounded animal. Um, uh, he, he bought a Saskatchewan sleeping bag from Amber Crombie and Fitch and moved out of the Rose Garden. Well, there's the Catholic existentialism. When I first read Walker, it's like, okay, I don't get this. It's like it's off-center. I can get the Catholicism, a little bit of existentialism, but, but I get over my... Pay great in a hurry with excess, with, you know, Sartre and Camus, but he'll have something very serious, and he's talking about his Abercrombie and Fitch sleeping bag dragged along. My mother had a way of summing up his doings in a phrase that took the heart out of him. He dreamed, I know, of a place of quiet breathing and a deep sleep under the stars and next to the sweet earth. She agreed, honey, I'm all for it. 
I think we all ought to get back to nature. And I'd be right with you, honey. If it wasn't for the chiggers, I'd be chigger. <laughs> now you see, I mean, so they never went camping out. He said, I've, it's the boy scout. I got to get out and camp out and get refreshed. And he said, I'm with you. We're going next weekend. If it weren't for those darn chiggers. That's all they, they never go, right? Bless his heart, right? So he, you know, ended up committing suicide. But these new houses look haunted. Even the churches out here look haunted. What spirit takes possession of them? My poor father. I can see him blundering through the patio furniture, the junior jets, and the lone ranger pup tents, dragging his Saskatchewan sleeping bag like the corpse of a dead hope there. Uh, you know, Aeneas Nin said, we don't see things as, as they are. We see things as we are. You know how you kind of project. You expect in other people maybe how you feel about yourself. And, and so that's happening here. Then we meet Harold Grebner, right? Harold probably saved my life in the Orient, and for this reason, he loves me. Again, it's that kind of little twist, and instead of, you know, Binks loving him, it's like, I saved your life, so I love you, because <laughs> I saved your life. He He's just got that little twist. I had some people before this course coming up with me, and, I, and they said, I read the book. <laughs> I, I don't quite get it, and uh, I told you, I had to, my, in 92, when I first came down from Huntsville, I, I had to host the uh, this... Uh, Walker Percy, uh, you know, uh, symposium. We got Jay Tolson, the world's leading cricket critic down here. And so I, I dashed through all his books and I said, I'm over my head. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, this isn't Faulkner. I'm not going to do a good job here. Ever since Wednesday, I've become acutely aware of Jews. Now, why would he like, why is he interested in Jews? They were, they were, they were, they were the, what do they have in common with what he's been doing? The suffering, wanderers, right? If he's homeless, then he's he's been trying to find his home and the Jews did the same thing. We share the same exile. Jews are my first real clue. And he's trying to find his way to faith. He's trying to find his way to religion and God, okay? <laughs> Justin, stay close to the Bible, okay? Keep this as a Sunday school class. You are not in school. First, we go out. Yes, mommy. Okay, I get it. When a man awakes to the possibility of a search, and when such a man passes a Jew in the street of the for the first time, he is like Robinson Crusoe, seeing the footprint on the beach. What a great moment! I mean, here's a guy talk about being an exile castaway. Robinson Crusoe is a is a great metaphor for it. In that electric moment, can you imagine being there? You know, for years. There's no other human contact. You're walking on the beach and there's a human footprint. It's just electric. Oh my goodness. We were taught last time, uh, one of the parents of some Altamont former students named, uh, their, their son Wilson. And we started talking about, you know, Wilson, the volleyball. And when, when the vo his best friend's a volleyball. I mean, that's sad, isn't it? I mean, that's really sad. And he starts crying when in the flood, Wilson's flooded, is, uh, cast away. It's like he's lost his best friend. You say, now that's pitiful. I mean, that's really sad. I was raised in Inslee near Birmingham. Well, I identified there when I was a little one out there near Forest Park. Okay. And then there's Uncle Jules, Emily's husband. He makes you feel as if you and he had come from upon this place in your wanderings. But he is no more at home than you. He sits everywhere but in his own chair and does business everywhere but at his own desk. And so he's just saying that, you know, I'm not the only one that's kind of a little bit having a little trouble being, finding a home. 
As long as I'm getting rich, I feel that all is well. It is my Presbyterian blood. Now, when I taught this at IPC, they love that. See, lines like, oh yeah. Now, his, his family went to Independent Presbyterian Church. And so, another link. And I, I taught a number of courses over there. And so, I uh, kind of feel like home. 108. All right, ladies, this is for you. I do believe the South has produced more high-minded women, women of universal sentiments, than any other section of the country except possibly New England in the last century. Of my six living aunts, five are women of the loftiest philosophical pan-Brahmin sentiments. The six is still a Presbyterian. He's, he's yeah, hadn't quite gotten over that early childhood. If I had to name a single trait that all these people shared, it's their niceness. Their lives are triumphs of niceness. They like everyone with the warmest and most generous feelings. And as for themselves, it would be impossible for even a done dour person not to like them. You think of, uh, you know, uh, in, in The Unvanquished by Faulkner, Granny and Aunt Jenny. Faulkner's got some great female characters in his works. Then on 109, he says, I believe in music. I believe in a child's smile. I believe in love. I also believe in hate. I just... Uh, we see he's got a little notebook. He puts these thoughts in. And we see, you know, Binks is messed up. Okay, he's messed up. But he's got a good heart. He's got a good soul, you know. And things like that show us that. Uh, again, think of T.S. Eliot. Have, have uh, you know, his his uh, last four poems there. And uh, very religious poems. Just beautiful. One of his lines about uh, he hears the ch child's laughter in the leaves. I think to me about the most beautiful sound in the world. I like going up when I was taught at Altman. I'd just go outside and listen to the children laughing as they're playing. I said, well, there's hope. <laughs> you know, we may, we may make it okay here. Um, I think again of Holden Caulfield. If you, if you glutton for punishment, you want to write a paper. Okay. Compare Binks to Holden Caulfield. I don't think I've ever read a paper on that. But you know, Holden Caulfield on the catch in the rye, he's, uh, What's he doing going off and erasing all the dirty words, you know, that people have put on the uh, scrawl there on buildings so, you know, somebody like his little sister, you know, won't come along and, and see something like that. So he's he's got a good heart. He really does. Um, you want to read a, a great story? Read Foresme with Love and Squalor by J.D. Salinger. That's my favorite short story. It's just gorgeous. And nobody else knows about it except somebody who that I've taught. I just, uh, but I love it. Okay. All right. Kate has just gotten out of the state hospital in Jackson. Those are the authorities there of the sound and the fury. Okay. The Jackson's in the, in the, the insane asylum there. And so it's uh, very important. Her eyes are pools of darkness. That's a good line. You know, posted the eyes of the gateway to the soul. It's a, you know, haven't you been able to sometimes look in the eyes of somebody? Some of these mass murders, you ever looked at like Manson's eyes or somebody's just like, they're just black. It's just nothing there. Poor Kate is just, she's suffering. But they're, they're both, kind of, Kate and Binks, they're both kind of messed up. They're kind of halves, but they're going to find each other. And, th and together they're going to make a whole person. On 116, Kate asks, is everything going to be all right? And Binks says, yes. Who, Binks, who's just barely holding on sometimes himself. Tell me. Say it. Everything's going to be all right. See, he's, he's a good guy. I mean, he, maybe he doesn't really believe it, but he says it 
to help Kate. So he's a, he's a good guy. The family of man, that's one of the dominant themes that you see in American literature is the family of man, that society should be like a family. You know, if you, if you come across somebody's in a ditch, if, you know, if you can help them out without getting hurt yourself, then, then do it. Don't, wouldn't we work so much better? So many, what's going on around here? People trying to help, be in that helping hand. Lord knows I wouldn't be here now if, uh, some people hadn't helped me along the way. 120. Here we go. The central word in person we said is malaise. What is the malaise, you ask? The malaise is the pain of loss. The world is lost to you. The world and the people in it, and there remains only you and the world, and you no more able to be in the world than Banquo's ghost. That's, that's Macbeth there. Okay? Alright. Uh, that is the reason I have no use for cars, prefer bus and street cars. If I were a Christian, I'd make a pilgrimage by foot. Now that's a key word, pil- Jay Tolson, I told you, is the world's leading critic on, uh, Percy. And, uh, he wrote a book, his biography of, uh, Percy. It's called Pilgrim in the Ruins, which says a lot there. For this, the best way to travel, but I, girls do not like it. He's got my little red MG, however, is an exception to the rule. It's a miserable vehicle, actually, with not a single virtue save one. It is immune to the malaise. So he's, he's got this car. I, 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 you, ever, you ever heard salesmen say like these really fancy cars? I won't mention the name, but it's like if you buy one, buy two, because one's always going to be in the shop, right? Well, his, his, MG, his MG's always in the shop there, right? Okay. Um, I, there's a line in Flannery O'Connor. Uh, uh, the life you say may be your own. Talk about crooked cross, and I felt like that's just her in microcosm. Fits him pretty well too. The uh, crooked cross is the uh, existentialism and the Catholicism. Like with Flannery, it's her, her grotesque style and the and the uh, Catholicism there. Well, they're out driving and they go past past Christian. So there's a lot of religious diction. He's trying to find his way to find God. He's just kind of agnostic. He's just not sure. And the, uh, uh, then a westbound green Ford begins a U-turn, thinks it sees nothing, creeps out and rams me square midships. Y'all remember the car wreck that they have? He's out, he's out riding in the car there. I get, this is Sharon in the car with him. She comes around and helps me take off my shirt. <clears throat> but the t-shirt's too tight <clears throat> and I can't raise my arm. Wait. She goes after her Guatemalan bag and finds... See, here, I give the existentialism. And you help me out, but I I get over my head in a hurry with existentialists. But all I remember is early, like, for the Sartre and Camus, it's like life's like a bent orange peel in a gutter. Now, that that's pretty sad. That's all you remember about existentialism. But it's just it's a, the absurdity. It's just absurd. So you have to find... If life if there are no eternals, there's no God, then you must find your own... You, you jump in any time now, okay, Professor, but it's just you have to impose your own meaning on it. And so... Uh, which Camus and Sartre did pretty well. They fought for, heroically for the French underground. They said, well, my country matters. And so that's the meaning for my existence. Well, anyway, she gets her little cuticle scissors and cuts the sleeve through the neck. I feel her stop. And she says, what's that? And he says, can't you tell it's a scar? I mean, he's, he's got a big scar. Where'd you get it? My razor slipped. I mean, say, he's got a scar there on his chest. Come on. I got it on the Chong Chan River. 
in the war. Well, you see, Banks is scarred inside and out, isn't he? Right? That's just a symbol. He he's got his problems there, but he's got his uh, he's got the in, internal and external scars there from from Korea. We find a hole in the rivulet, this little stream. Sharon's already in, leaving her shirt and pants on the beach like a rag. She wades out ahead of me, turning to and fro, hands outstretched in the water and sweeping it before. So they're going out in a little stream, and uh, the green water foams at her knees and sucks out ankle deep and swirling with sand. How beautiful she is. She is beautiful and brave and chipper as a sparrow. My throat catches with sadness of her beauty. Well, that reminds me of a, if y'all read Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, James Joyce. I mean, Joyce, Joyce is a job. And if you're going to read Joyce, read the earliest stuff, okay? Don't, don't, don't go with, the more he wrote, the harder he got. Ulysses, Finnegan's Wake's impossible. The, you know, the, the, the first half, the half sentence of the first sentence is the ending of the, uh, of the last sentence of the book. And it's just like, that's over my head, so I didn't even tackle it. But in Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, that's an interesting book, and it's about um, this young guy, and he's raised in a uh, Catholic school, and the, and the monks are pushed him hard to become a, a priest, but part of him wants to become a, uh, uh, a writer. And his name's Stephen Dedalus, which is cool. This is from Andrew Lytle's stuff. Stephen was like first martyr, and Daedalus was the first artist, the inventor of the of the wings and stuff. And so he's kind of torn down the middle. But anyway, so Stephen Daedalus, young 16-year-old, trying to decide what to do with his life, he's walking on the beach at sunset, and he sees this pretty teenage girl out there, standing out there in the shallow water, and she's got her skirt pulled up to her thighs, and the sun's setting, looking at her legs, said, not going to be a priest. I mean, not, not sure going to be, but <clears throat> monk's out the window right now, okay? <clears throat> anyway, she asked, uh, what's the matter with you? And Bink says, I don't know. I mean, the, the poor guy, well, we know it's, you know, losing his dad and things. And so, hey, I may be right on this one. On 135, she says, you must ask Joyce what I said about you. Well, see, that may be a clue. Yeah, I got, I read Port the Artist too. You got that one right, Palmer. But you're wrong on the other stuff. Okay, now do you remember the stuff when he's got his half family, the Smiths? Okay, he's, he's got his old family, the people who are just, a lot of them are atheists, but then he's got, uh, the, his mother remarried to the Roy Smith. And again, pick Smith, why? Why, why is the last name Smith there? It's the, it's the most common name, right? So again, it's the drabness, the everydayness that he's, the monotony he's trying to escape. So he goes to visit his mom with his half-brothers and sisters are eating crabs at a sawbuck tub. Again, I think of Elliot, right? Proof rock, you know, sawdust restaurants and oyster, you know, empty shells and everything. And then uh, one of the sons is named Jean-Paul. Well, there's tipping his hat to the existentialists who influenced when he, when he's recovering from the, from the tuberculosis and he was out just freezing to death, you know, reading a lot, trying to get rid of the, t the TB. Um, Jean Paul's the son of my mother. Uh, ever since last summer when Duval, the oldest, oldest son was drowned. Well, more loss in the family. And so he goes, he hasn't seen his mother in a good while. Now, th this is good writing through here. 
He needs his mom, right? He's lost his dad. He's lost his, his brother Scott. He feels guilty about some of his other soldiers, comrades arms, dying in Korea because he fell, he's so exhausted he fell asleep. So you need your mama, right? So he goes, uh, mother is drying her hands on a dishcloth. Well, 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 look who's here, she says, but does not look. Okay, you know, you ever had people just kind of, you've been on the Paris Metro, you know, you rush hour and you're 12 inches away and they look six inches to the side, you know, no eye contact there. We give each other a kiss, <clears throat> or rather we press our cheeks together. Mother embracing my head with her wrist as if her hands were still wet. You see, the hands, that's too personal, isn't it? So she kind of gives a, a wrist hug right there. But we know the problem. She says later, you look just like your dad. Well, see, I, I, I get her too, right? Because when she sees her son, she's seeing her dead husband again. So she's trying to pull back a little bit so she doesn't just fall apart too, okay? Y'all read The Sound of Fury, Quentin Compson? If I could just say mother, he's got his horrible mother and just he's drowning, but she's off when she loves his brother. Sometimes I feel a son's love for her or something like this and try to give her a special greeting. But at these times, she avoids my eye and gives me a cheek and calls on me to notice this about Matilda or that about Teresa. Let me see what's going on there. So she's focused now on her, uh, on her, on the, on the new children there. Is that the sign to close down or what? The bells? Ten till. Two more minutes. What is it? It's three o'clock. Okay. I'll be shut down here. One forty-four. Three o'clock. Y'all know about the dark night of the soul. You know, F. Scott Fitzgerald and True Dark Night of the Soul, it's always 3 o'clock in the morning. That's the worst time. That's when the car wrecks happen. I could, in school, college, but I could push to 1 or 2, or I could get up at 4. 3 o'clock, it's just like, oh. You know, I, I had to change the, di change the uh, diapers and, and give the feeding for my boys at 3 a.m. And I mean, when you're in there in the nursery at 3 a.m., there's nobody else awake except you and a billion Chinese. I mean, you are just on your own. It's so desolate. A young man am I, 29, but I'm as full of dreams as an ancient. At night, the years come back and perch around my bed like ghosts. So I remember Quentin Thompson's line, sound if you're, I'm older at 20 than some people who are dead. Bless his heart, all the suffering he's been through till he finally commits suicide. Only once in my life was the grip of everydayness broken when I lay bleeding in a ditch. You know, when it's in Korea. Now, is that with the cutting, with the people who get suicidal? Is that, they said that's the only time they really feel alive. I, I say, I, I'm, I try to understand people when they cut themselves. That, that's pain. Why would you do that? Well, that's the only time I feel alive. See, again, that's, that's hard for me to understand because I love life so much. So hard. My mother's family think I've lost my faith and they pray for me to recover it. I don't, I don't know what they're talking about. My father's family think that the world makes sense without God and that anyone but an idiot knows what good life is. Anyone but a scoundrel can lead it. You know, be a doctor. Save the world. I don't know what either of them are talking about. Really, I can't make head or tail of it. The best I can do is to lie rigid as a stick under the cot, locked in a death grip with every dayness, sworn not to move a muscle until I advance another inch in my search. And he starts writing his notebook in the dark. 
It is impossible to rule God out. So he is trying to fight his way to find God. Well, boy, that flies by, doesn't it? Okay, well, listen, thanks for coming. One more. I've still got a lot to do, don't I? Okay, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. It's been it's a lot of fun working with you. So time for church. All right, thank you. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.